0: You're listening to the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. This is a conversation all about leadership, vision, and joining in God's activity wherever you are. You can follow along with today's episode using the show notes at hopechurchonline.com podcast or on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for tuning in today. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode number one of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. My name is Scott, and I have the privilege of leading alongside Pastor Vance at Hope Church here in Las Vegas. I will be your host for this brand new podcast that we're praying will help you and your leadership team as you join in God's activity wherever you are. I, of course, today am joined here by my friend, my mentor, my pastor, Vance Pittman. Vance, how you doing?
1: Doing good, Scott. Just uh, got back in town last night from Denver, Colorado speaking at a conference for the 6-4 Fellowship over there that's focused on prayer and the Word and just had a tremendous time there connecting with leaders and got to spend some time with Jim Cimbala and just had a phenomenal, phenomenal time at the conference. So it's good to be back. Awesome.
0: Awesome. We're glad you're back. As we begin this new podcast journey and begin to um, share your leadership principles that you've acquired over 25 plus years of full-time ministry, how do you see this podcast being helpful for the people
1: that are listening? Scott, I think um, our story is unique in a couple of ways. Uh, First of all, I I was raised in a culture in the Bible Belt where the culture was dominated by Christian influence. Everybody either went to church or said they went to church. Uh, Church was such a big part of the the lifestyle that I grew up in, and now for the last 17 plus years have had the privilege of leading and serving in ministry in a context very different than that. A very unchurched culture, a very pre-Christian context. Um, So I think from that vantage point, um, having been in both of those environments, God's uniquely wired me and given us a unique story that can speak into what it looks like to be involved in spiritual leadership in a lot of different contexts, as well as the fact that what God's done at our church in Las Vegas, um, you know, it's an extremely multicultural fellowship, 54 languages represented in our church. So we're ministering the gospel, not just in a pre-Christian context, but in a very multicultural setting. Um, having to learn how to contextualize the gospel for many cultures. So I think for all of those reasons, the uniqueness of what God's done here will provide some insight that may be helpful to others as they lead spiritually wherever they are.
0: Yeah. I'm excited to see just as everything you said, I'm excited to see how the the leadership principles and the leadership that I've sat under uh, in your, in my life, under your leadership, just to see that um, kind of take off and see who else might be blessed by it. Um, so for this first episode, We thought it'd be helpful for us to really introduce you, Vance, to those who are listening and give you a chance to share your story and also share how God has taught some leadership principles to you, obviously um, starting very young and now being not so young in the process. (laughs) Um, As we've mentioned, we know now that you're the senior pastor at Hope Church here in Las Vegas, but let's go back to the beginning. What is the Vance Pittman story and how on earth did a country guy like yourself end up here in Las Vegas? (laughs)
1: spoken well from the guy that grew up on the West Coast, the country guy like that. (laughs) Uh, But no, I I was, I was raised in a small town in Alabama, um, grew up there. Uh, My dad and mom are first generation Christians, which means that my parents don't come from a long line of Christians. My parents were the first Christians on either side of their families. And so they came to know Christ both in high school as um, students in high school came to know the Lord and then met and were married, and my dad surrendered to ministry, became a pastor. My brother and I were born. i uh, got a younger brother, about five and a half years younger than me. So we grew up in a Christian family in a pastor's home, um, always at church, always around the church, very involved in the church. Church was a huge part of my life, but unfortunately, that's all it was. Church was just a big part of my life. And I had to learn a lesson early on that <laughs> excuse me, being around Christianity and being a Christian are not the same thing. And so it wasn't until I was a freshman in college uh, at the University of North Alabama that I'd kind of gotten to a season where I was um, gotten out of high school, doing my own thing, kind of searching for that emptiness. Church had been a big part of my life, but it didn't fill a void that was missing on the inside. And so I just kept searching, and I tried athletics, I tried uh, relationships, I tried partying, tried a lot of different things. And it wasn't until uh, one night as a freshman in college, just alone by myself in my apartment, I knelt down beside my bed and was really at a point of emptiness and brokenness and surrendered the control of my life to Jesus. I would had enough gospel foundation laid in my life that uh, I knew where to turn when I needed to turn somewhere. So I turned to Christ, gave my life to Him, and um, that night my life completely changed. I went from having a religion to having a personal relationship with God through Jesus, began to grow in my fellowship with Him and very shortly after that began to sense that God was calling me to ministry and it couldn't have been um further from my mind because having grown up in a pastor's home uh, I didn't have a bad taste in my mouth but I didn't I didn't want to be in ministry I wanted to make more money than my dad had made so I wanted to do something different and uh but I, I began to sense God stirring my heart so I went to who was my pastor at the time uh not my dad but another pastor and said hey I think God may be calling me and he said um well, Vance, when you know, you'll know. And I thought, man, that's the best you got after years of experience and training in seminary. But, but the bottom line was he was right. I, when, when God spoke, God spoke very clearly and definitively, in, definitively into my life. Surrendered my life to ministry, began to serve in ministry, served as a youth pastor in a couple of churches, and then wound up pastoring my first church um, in a small town in Tennessee and was pastoring that church. The church um, was in a town of 4,000 people. My first three and a half years there, the church exploded in growth. We saw almost a fourth of the town attending our services. Uh, Hundreds of people been saved and baptized into our fellowship. Uh, But long story short is that um, not everybody's excited when the church begins to grow and take off like that. Uh, There was an existing power structure in the church that wasn't thrilled about the growth. There was a lot of conflict. I was an immature leader at the time. And it led to a situation where uh, myself and our entire staff team were asked to leave the church. And brought me to a point of unbelievable brokenness. I mean, everything I thought I'd given my life to do, pursue the Lord in ministry, um, I was doing. And it was happening very successfully from the world's perspective. And yet in one night was left with nothing but Jesus to come to the greatest discovery of my life. And that is that Jesus is enough. But out of that period of brokenness, God, you know, moved. we didn't know what we were going to do next. We, we lost that church and we had no job, didn't know what we we're going to do. So we pulled our kids out of school and uh, relocated back to Memphis, Tennessee, where my dad's church—he was pastoring a church called the Kirby Woods Baptist Church there in Memphis. They hired me on my on on their staff team uh, and basically loved my family back into the ministry. I was pretty well done with ministry after that experience in Tennessee. I thought, you know, I can get my I can get my paycheck from anywhere and join in what God's doing. It doesn't have to be from a church. But my dad's church began to love me back into the ministry and loved us back into their fellowship. And God brought a guy into my life named Clyde Cranford began to pour into my life and disciple me to pursue Christ's life and the Gospels. And um, that's kind of how the journey began.
0: So I've heard that story dozens of times. And I think one thing that sticks out most to me in regards to ministry leadership is the role that your dad played in your life. You've always shared with our church and our staff something that set your dad apart and your relationship with him apart from the the sad but common pastor's kid reputation. I think it'd be helpful for our leaders uh, listening to hear you share, what, what was it that set your dad apart? Why why was there not that bad taste in your mouth? What what was it that set your dad apart as he was a pastor in ministry with a family?
1: Yeah, I feel super blessed to have grown up. Uh, my dad's Bob Pittman. A lot of the people that are listening maybe have even heard him preach. He's preached all over the country and really around the world. And still to this day, he's retired from pastoring, but he's preaching somewhere 42, 43 weeks a year. Um, but my dad in no way was a perfect person. Um, but my dad was the same imperfect person at church that he was at home. And I think one of the reasons that uh, a lot of preacher's kids get the reputation they get is because they disconnect from the faith because they see a mom and dad who's one way at church, but there's a big disconnect with how they live then at home. There's a lot of hypocrisy that's seen at home. And so the kids see a lack of authenticity, and they want nothing to do with Christ, his church, the gospel, and they really run from that. And so if there are pastors that are listening to this today and leaders, man, I would challenge them. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be above everybody else. But, man, just be real. Be who you are, both at home and at the church, so that your kids see an authentic reflection of who Jesus is. And that's what I saw in my dad. And it really changed my life. Hmm. Yeah,
0: I know. I've been challenged by that, as you just shared that story from my time at Hope. Um, my wife and I have four kids, all under the age of eight, and it's a constant challenge for me as a pastor, as a leader, as a father, and a husband, um, just to keep that, keep that, um, just right in front of me and really drive that home. So, well, back- it's a
1: it's a really big deal, Scott, because um, in ministry, I think the the, the biggest struggle that I, that most ministers, if they were going to be really honest, if you said, "What's the biggest fear you got in ministry?" I think most of them would say that in some way one of my kids doesn't get it. Um, I, the last thing I want to be about is changing the world and losing my family. Um, and if you're not careful in ministry, you can get so caught up in leading others that you forget to lead the ones that have been entrusted to you first, which is at your home. And so I've got a wife, and I've got four kids, and now a granddaughter, and... Um, it's such a joy today to have given our lives to what God's called us to do, but to see all four of my kids, and they're not perfect, but I got three that are adults and one that's still in, uh, about to be in high school, but all four of them walking with Jesus, pursuing Christ, enjoying God's mission, joining in what He's doing. Uh, it is absolutely the most rewarding thing, but I think that's the key, that, that authenticity and just being who you are, both at home, at the ball field, at the church, being a genuine follower of Christ first and foremost.
0: Yeah, I've heard Andy Stanley say, it's something along the same lines, that the greatest investment to the kingdom you do, maybe not something you do, but someone you raise. Yeah, it's Um, It's a great point. Yeah. So, all right, back to the story. Uh, You're being discipled by Clyde Cranford. You're working as a senior associate pastor under your dad in Memphis, Tennessee. You're comfortable. You're
1: happy. Life's great, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, I'm there in Memphis. Uh, This would have been around September 1999 at this point, and we're there And minding our own business, um, serving with my dad, a great relationship, you know, with the senior pastor, can't get any better than that. So my dad and I, we never really thought we'd get to serve together, but here we are serving together in a great church, a church that's giving a million dollars a year away as an investment in mission, running over 2,000 people. Um, And my dad and I never had this conversation one time, but everybody kind of assumed that one day my dad would retire and I would become the next senior pastor at Kirby Woods, um, again, he and I never talked about that, but it was just kind of the, the unwritten, unspoken understanding that everybody thought would happen. And so I had been through that season of brokenness. I'm now uh, serving with my dad, and I'm being discipled by this guy named Clyde Cranford. And he had taught me this principle of pursuing Christ's life in the Gospels. And what that really meant was an understanding that the Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through us. And if you're listening today, that is not just semantics. That's the difference in religion and relationship. It's a difference in me trying to do something for Jesus and committing myself to that and me dying to who I am so that Christ can live his life in and through me. So Clyde taught me to begin to look for Christ's life in the gospels, not just his death, burial and resurrection which obviously is the foundation of our faith but how he interacted with people. What was on his heart? How did he relate to lost people? And so I'm I'm in that process. I'm reading through the Gospel of Luke. And I get one morning to Luke chapter 4. And I'm reading in verse 43. Jesus looks at his disciples who are trying to get him to come and entertain and speak to this big crowd that's gathering. And Jesus is just very resistant to that. And he says to them, which, which that in and of itself is interesting, because most of us in ministry, all we need to confirm the will of God is a crowd. And yet here's Jesus facing a crowd And he's walking away from them to be alone with the Father. And the disciples are trying to get him to get back to the crowd. And he says, guys, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And as soon as I read that verse of Scripture that morning, you know, there are those mornings when you read the Bible. And then there are those mornings when you're reading the Bible. And it's like the Holy Spirit of God just reaches up and grabs your heart and says, this is for you today. And that's exactly what happened for me that morning. I, I saw some things in Jesus that weren't in me. This passion for the kingdom of God. This passion for other cities. And I didn't know what all it meant at the time. But I just knew God was stirring my heart to be involved in the expansion of his kingdom to other cities in the world. And so I went and got my wife, Christy. We knelt down in our living room there in Memphis. And we just prayed and said, Lord, yes. Um, we don't know where, God. We don't even know... What? We don't know when, but the answer is yes. And, you know, some people say, well, what was the question? Well, we didn't really know. We just knew that yes and anything but—or Lord and anything but yes didn't really go together. So we said, Lord, yes, really at that time believing that we were going to apply through a mission agency and go to the other side of the world and spend our lives on the backside of the world, investing in some culture, learning a new language, and and, in complete obscurity— Uh, taking the gospel and expanding the kingdom of God in some culture and climate on the other side of the world. Um, And so we, for a couple weeks, just prayed on that, began to try to push some doors open to make that happen. And God just kept closing every door. And about two weeks after that morning of being with the Father and hearing God speak that into my heart, uh, a mentor, another mentor, pastor, friend, Johnny Hunt, I was hosting him at an event in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, after speaking at the event, he and I are walking out that night And he looks at me and he says, Vance, um, our church, First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia, is going to be starting a church in the fastest growing city at that time in North America, Las Vegas, Nevada. And he said, Vance, God's put it on my heart that you're to be the pastor of that church. And as soon as he said Las Vegas, Nevada, man, God just immediately gripped my heart with that. As soon as it rolled off his lips, I knew that God had called us to Las Vegas, Nevada. So here we are, uh, two weeks earlier. Lord, yes, and two weeks later, you know, God has the audacity to fill in the blank with Las Vegas, and uh, I say that sometimes around our church, and people laugh, but it's, it's it's true because you couldn't have picked a place that was further off my radar than Las Vegas, Nevada. You could have said the moon, and I might have been more open to the moon because it would have been more a possibility. I just didn't even, never even trained of Las Vegas, and not only that, where I'm from in Alabama, people don't go to Las Vegas. And if they do, they don't tell anybody because they don't think Las Vegas is hell, but they think you can smell it from here. So uh, when he said Las Vegas, you couldn't have picked a place that was further off my radar. But as soon as he said it, we knew that God had called us. And so we immediately did something that I don't ever teach or recommend church planners to do. I train a lot of church planners now around the country, around the world. Um, but I never teach them to do this, but we resigned our position at Kirby Woods and began the process of moving to Las Vegas, and we'd never even visited this city one time. We just so definitively knew that God had spoken. If we did anything but begin the process of moving to Las Vegas, we'd be living in complete disobedience to God. So before we moved west, we moved east. We went to Woodstock, Georgia, with a fundamental conviction that churches plant churches. Individuals don't plant churches. Churches plant churches. And we wanted to be sent out of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, to plant this church. So we went to build relationships there and connect with that fellowship. So we moved to Woodstock.
0: It's funny. You said earlier that um, when you went to one of your pastors, he said, Vance, when you know, you know. And here you are. You resign a church because you knew, right? And you said, that's all seminary taught you. But that, that guy, even his advice, you know, came true in your life when when you knew you knew. Absolutely. Um, you heard you Las know, Vegas and you knew.
1: Yeah, here's what I've learned in um man, over 27 years of knowing Jesus, 25 years in ministry now. For sure a takeaway for me is when God speaks, it's always clear. Hmm. And if there's a lack of clarity, it means he has not spoken yet. Hmm. Because when he speaks it's clear, and whenever there's a lack of clarity, a lack of clarity is always an invitation to deeper intimacy with the Father. And as you then pursue intimacy with Him, He'll speak. It'll become clear.
0: That's good.
1: I've heard you share that story again
0: numerous times. And um, of course, we all know you know, theologically, God does not need any of us. Uh, but obviously, I am a testament to this, that, that God has used you in the city. God has used you and your family and, and Hope Church um, in hundreds and thousands of people's lives. Um, my family has been changed by the, uh, the ministry of Hope Church. And to think that this work that God called you to started with a simple invitation out of one single time alone, with God in September, 1999. Can you talk a little bit about why that's significant? Share with the leaders that are listening, why it's significant that they're spending time in the word, not necessarily to preach sermons or get quality content for podcasts, but just spending time alone with the father. You had that moment in Luke four that honestly changed your life and a lot of people's lives. Why is it significant that no matter what the platform may be, Leaders are still listening to the Holy Spirit of God in those moments with God alone in the mornings.
1: Yeah, well, another thing that uh, Clyde really poured into my life is that everything that God desires to do through my life, He'll do out of the overflow of what He's doing in my life, which means that the real invitation, the real call that He's placed on our lives is not to do something for Him, The real call that He's placed on our lives is to be with Him. And out of the overflow of being with Him, He will then accomplish all that He desires to accomplish in and through our lives. It's the same invitation He gave to the the disciples when He first called them. He said in Mark chapter 3, when He called them, He said He summoned them so that they would be with Him and that He could send them out to preach. They were to be with Him, then he would make his life public through them out of the overflow of their intimate fellowship with him. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic now as I think back on it. But, man, there's a question I've asked myself a thousand times over these 17 years in Vegas. And that is, what if I hadn't been with God that morning? And don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I ask that. It's not that God needed Vance Pittman. He didn't. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need any of us. But God in His sovereignty has chosen to invite us to join in what He's doing and be a part of it and work through us. And the way He does that is the vehicle of the relationship. So when I ask the question, what if I hadn't been with Him that morning? I'm not saying, man, well, you know there'd be no hope. God would have done all. No, God was doing all this in Las Vegas with or without me. When I ask the question, here's what I'm really asking. What would I have missed out on if I hadn't been with Him that morning? And it makes me think of the other question, what have I missed out on mm. in those times? Because I hadn't been perfect. What, what about those times when I wasn't alone with the Father? The times that I was too busy in ministry to pursue intimacy with God. What, what, what did I maybe miss out on that God had in store for me? Uh, so man, I'm super grateful that God would allow me the privilege because today we live in a day of so many distractions, whether it's calendars or social media or conferences or counseling appointments or whatever it is, there's all these things that are jockeying for our time in, in, in the realm of spiritual leadership. And if we're not careful, those things can begin to woo us away from intimacy with the Father. Um, because if we're not careful, the ministry and spiritual leadership becomes the great love affair that woos us away from intimacy with God. And it's easy for our flesh to justify it because it's something so spiritual. It sounds so good. But the reality is He's called us to be with Him, and He desires to work through us. And the tragedy of this, as you see it really play out in people's lives, is you know now over all these years in ministry, I've seen some of my friends, some of my very good friends, fall morally in ministry, Um, And every man that I've ever known and walked with and counseled that has had an affair in the ministry first had an affair with the ministry that wooed him away from intimacy with Jesus and opened him up to everything under heaven. So, yeah, man, it's all about intimacy with the Father. And I'm so thankful for that morning in September of 1999 that God in His grace invited me to get in on this incredible journey. I
0: am thankful for that as well. Um, So here you are, you and your family, you got trained. Two other guys and their families moved to Las Vegas in the year 2000 after getting some training at, at uh, First Baptist Woodstock. And as you've said, the Beverly Hillbillies arrive and <laughs> they're here to tackle Sin City. And you continue to get confirmation from the Lord that you guys were right in the center of what he was doing. Um, one day you get a phone call that's become uh, an epic legend at Hope Church <laughs> from a little Filipino lady named Letty Peralta. Can you share that powerful story and how that was encouraging for you as a new church planner?
1: Yeah, so we, we did. We moved to Woodstock, Georgia. We put our team together. There were three families that were coming together, myself and two other families, all of us from the Bible Belt, two from Alabama, one from Tennessee. And so we did. We felt like the Beverly Hillbillies moving into Las Vegas because uh, here were these you know three Southern Bible Belt guys moving out here. And so we get here. My family's first. We get here two days before Christmas 2000. And about a week after we arrive on the field, I get a, this telephone call from this Letty Peralta and I'd never heard of Letty Peralta, didn't know Letty Peralta. And I answer the telephone and she says, she's on the other end of the line. She says, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody from Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell me. And so she proceeded to tell me this story. She said, I'm from the Philippines. I had moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family that was very poor. She said, while living in Hong Kong, I met an American family and I moved in with them and became the caretaker of their home. And she said over the course of time that that family became like another family for her, became an extended family to her and to the point that they basically adopted her into their family to when they moved back to the United States of America, their company relocated them back. She moved with them back to America. And when they moved back to America, they settled in a suburb north of Atlanta, Georgia, called Woodstock, Georgia. And while living in Woodstock, Georgia, she visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. She heard a preacher named Johnny Hunt preach the gospel and the Great Commission, the kingdom of God, like she'd never heard before. And it radically changed her life. But she only got to visit that church about six times, she said. And then her family suddenly got another job change with the company, and it relocated them to Las Vegas, Nevada. And she said, Pastor, I've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half. And I've prayed every day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Would you please tell me who sent you here? Now here my family had just two weeks earlier loaded everything we owned in a green Dodge minivan in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia and driven all the way across the country, not even knowing Letty Peralta existed. And now we get this telephone call and it just shook our lives because we figured out and and, and, and right in that moment understood that God didn't call us here to start something. God called us here to join in something that He was doing long before we got here. And He's going to continue to be doing long after we're on the scene, or after we're off the scene. And and, and that's really a reality for anybody that's listening to this today. Wherever you might be serving in ministry leadership in whatever capacity, whether that's leading a small group, leading a ministry team, serving as a pastor, serving on staff... You are simply a steward for a season of the activity of God. What's happening there started long before you got there, and it's going to continue long after you're off the scene. But right now, you're just a steward of that activity. And that's what we recognize, that we were simply stewarding this activity of God. And it really shook us in this arena of prayer and engaging this city through prayer. Um, But now here we are 17 years later. We've seen thousands of people come to know Christ in Las Vegas. Uh, We have had the privilege as a church of planting now over 40 churches. I think we're about to launch our 45th church plant out of our church up and down the West Coast. We've sent over 400 people out of our fellowship up and down the West Coast to join in planting these churches, sent teams all over the world. We work on multiple continents. We're involved in church planting movements right now on three continents around the world. God's done all this unbelievable stuff. And the bottom line is people will call and they'll say, man, what was your strategy? How did you guys do this? Three guys from the Bible Belt. Go to Las Vegas. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm not trying to be just humble. I'm just trying to be honest. The bottom line is one lady from the Philippines asked God to do it. And for 17 years, we've been riding a wave of the favor of God's activity. Wow.
0: It's powerful, and I hope uh, if you're listening to this, you um, you were challenged today by um, challenged today by what you heard, and challenged uh, not only by things that Vance Pittman said, but just the things that God is doing and how He has invited us. No matter as Vance said, where you are serving, um, He's inviting you to join in His activity. Um, and we could uh, fill many more podcasts with crazy God stories that have happened in 17 years at Hope Church. But um, just to wrap up today, Vance, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Um, from my heart to um, and and many that I represent, just by the way you lead, you lead by example. Um, I know when you say it's about intimacy, not ministry first. I know you spend time with the Lord. I know um, firsthand walking now in ministry with you for almost ten years. Um, it's real. You're the real deal. You walk the walk, and uh, people listening to this might not know that, but I just want to affirm that in you. Um, I'm thankful to you and christy as parents um not as my parents but as parents (laughs) as an example as me and my wife are you know 15 years behind you in a lot of ways when it comes to parenting um i'm just grateful for um, an example and i i'm excited for the people that may be listening and tuning in and sharing with their friends um i'm excited to for them to be challenged and encouraged in some of the same ways i have so if you are listening thank you so much for tuning in today for episode number one of this brand new podcast. If you like what you've heard, we encourage you to share on social media. Also, you can rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It really helps get the word out and hopefully reach more and more leaders to get in on God's activity wherever he has them leading. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back next month with another great episode on leadership with Pastor Vance Penman. Thanks again for joining us for the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. You can find all the show notes on your favorite podcasting app or at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. We will be releasing a new episode on the first Monday of every month to help you and your teams lead like never before.